0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, this okay. So
1: in okay, thanks for letting
0: me know. Okay. thank you. so we for you, sir. so we
2: So, und dann kommt der Koran, 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 der Koran,
0: Uh, <laughs> well, that right. right. okay. yeah. the of Yes, it's a good question. Actually Actually actually, actually, It's actually, uh,
3: so we we'll see you guys. Yes, He's got big shoulders. Uh, Mr. Zims. You have my notes? I need your help, sir. Uh, I need some, can you help me? Uh, very carefully. No, no, no. Yeah. 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 yeah, just a little bit. You got notes, okay. Work, uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. we are really, expecting a smaller crowd yeah. because we have but, but splitting. Yeah. Yeah. So far you can, you can yeah. hold yeah. up to yeah. a little reprogram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, uh,
3: yeah. Because okay. the is a like Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 All
2: right. uh, About uh, three minutes, if you want to get yourself situated, we're going to get started. All right. Some notes. Anybody? Uh, I didn't put one there. Floyd has a chair. You don't have one? No one else needs notes? I do have extra copies if you don't want to share with your spouse. It's up to you. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Does anyone have a pen? I do Huh. So we'll go ahead and, uh, well, our speaker is probably indisposed at the moment, but we see we're recording here. Okay, that's going. So, everyone does that notice? Well, Let's go ahead and pray. I know Tom will be right in here in a moment. Pray. Lord, we just uh, we thank you for this opportunity to come and gather tonight, Lord, and to take a short uh, departure from our normal study on your appointed times, Lord, to consider this um, appointed time traditional, traditionally, Lord. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that as uh, Chaim goes through uh, this information tonight, Lord, that it would be edifying for us, that it would be um, encouraging, even though it is a typically a time of, of remembrance of sadness Amen. and tragedy, Lord. We pray that we would not get so caught up in that, that we would not see your hand, your hand of guidance, your hand of protection and provision, uh, even throughout this time. So we uh, we commit this uh, this evening to you, Lord. We pray that we would be able to put our own agendas aside, our own concerns, our own thoughts, Lord, and for these next uh, 60 minutes, Lord, to focus uh, on you and what you have for us, Lord, and what you set aside for us tonight. So we pray these things and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Without further ado, oh, there it yes, is. Indeed. Would you uh, discuss for two minutes? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> for two minutes? Well, one minute. One long enough for me to Well, this nice time is not coming on blue. We'll we'll just remain in the for just a moment and find can start with it.
3: Folks, um, you will not find our topic tonight at uh, Barney, Rabbi Barney Castan's book. Um, Rabbi David and I opted to dive into it simply because this is the time of year for Tish Be'av and you Hebrew students will be able to read that. means? Speak of? Ninth of Av. And Av is which one? (laughs) (laughs) You're correct. You're correct. Um, I'm being a little picky because um, we will see in, in one of the references one of the scriptures we look at that, that it speaks about the fifth month uh, why is it the fifth month how is the uh, biblical calendar set not around it starts in Nisan. By the way, Nissan is not like the car. Just one is. So Nisan, or also called Aviv, uh, was called the uh, uh, by the Lord. In, in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said, this will be to you the first month. So in other words, it's the new year in a sense. And by the way, Judaism has more than one new year. But... Um, religiously or or biblically um, Nisan is the first month and so Av um, is the fifth month and um, so you don't really have reference um, to Tishaba Av as one of the biblical festivals uh, the biblical festivals coming from what book? What chapter? 23,
0: 23
3: of what? Leviticus. Um, just measuring life vibrations here. Uh, there, is here. there is none. There is none. Beat me up, Scott. So, some, sometimes we get folks saying, well, it's not in the Bible, therefore we should not do it. It's Jewish, and uh, as if to imply that anything and everything that the church does um, is always sanctified, whether it's in the Bible or not, uh, just just a little sarcasm. So please bear with me. Um, so th- the point being that uh, as believers, we have lost. We have big latitude. God gives us big latitude lots of space in terms of what we can and cannot celebrate as long as it's not anti Uh, it can be non or extra biblical and at Yeshua Zion we don't look at fellow believers who do things differently than, than we do and point a bony finger at them and say because you don't do things the way we are, then there's something wrong with you. Uh, in fact, folks that come to us with that perspective find out real quick like uh, that that's not what we are about because the Word of God is very emphatic in particularly in places like Romans fourteen where we're told that as fellow believers we have no business uh, sitting in judgment on those who differ from us when it comes to matters of observance. Very, very clear. In fact, uh, in in chapter 14 of Romans, Paul says if you sit there to sit in judgment on a brother or sister who does things differently than you do as far as worship and observance you are putting yourself under God's judgment because He is the only one who is fully authorized to make those kinds of decisions. Uh, and so, that is why, um, And, and, and by, by the same token, also, the fact that something comes from traditional Judaism doesn't mean to us that we need to absorb it or not absorb it. In other words, everything that we want... What we want to do is that everything that we do do um, is done according to the filter of the Word of God. In other words, is it scriptural? Does it fit or does it not fit? If it doesn't fit, we buy. If it fits, then yes, by all means. And so, again, we have lots of latitude uh, in terms of what we do and how we do it, as long as it fits in the Word of God. You look puzzled, Sylvia. No. Okay. All right. Um, So, uh, just to give you a basic outline. By the way, Mr. Zemes, this thing is ready to be uh, uh, transmitted to its its maker. Um, Um... so just to give you a basic idea of where we're going, one is what what do we see in Scripture? And here, first of all, I want to uh, talk about the Old Testament or the Tanakh. Everybody know what Tanakh is? Yes. Hmm? Yes. Torah. Torah. Tavim? <inaudible> <Levin. inaudible> okay, it's an abbreviation. Uh, secondly. We want to look at what traditional Judaism has to say about that. Um, Part of the balance is that there are some things in traditional Judaism that are wonderful and godly, uh, the prayer book in particular. Uh, And so we want to embrace the things that we can. Um, and And then also, finally, uh, where do we, as a Messianic Jewish community, how, how do we uh, practice Tisha B'Av? Uh, so first of all, I want to talk a little bit about what Tisha B'Av is uh, from a biblical perspective, Old Testament. Um, short version is that Tisha B'Av is a day of mourning and fasting, Uh, for all the calamities that took place um, to Jewish people, the nation of Israel over the last couple, actually more than a couple thousand, actually 2,600 years. Um, let Let me zip forward a little bit to tradition and talk about tradition and I'll come back to scripture. So according to Tradition, anything and everything that has taken uh, place, that has been a catastrophe for Jewish people, can be uh, pointed can be uh, pointed to as happening on Tisha B'av. Whether some cases it's actually true, other cases it's not. Um, but I want to start with, and, and so it begins with the destruction of both temples. That both temples uh, were destroyed on Tisha B'Av. And uh, then there was a a whole bunch of other events, and we'll go through those in just a bit. Um, Including, by the way, 1492. Does anybody know what took place in 1492? Uh, Please don't say Calabas.
4: Spanish Inquisition. Yes,
3: Yes. and Uh, Spain and. Portugal. Portugal. Well, yeah.
4: Portugal They stay in Portugal a little
3: longer. Lo- not much longer.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, they but were kicked. No, they were kicked from the Iberian Peninsula. All right. Uh, let, let's start by looking at Jeremiah, uh, chapter fifty-two. Jeremiah fifty-two, and let's see. 23, and I need someone who will be the reader, and Judy, you look like you're volunteering. Please well, read it loud enough so that Lana back there can hear. 12
4: to
3: one. 23. On the 10th day of the 5th month...
4: the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem, every important building he burned down. And the whole Babylonian army under the commander of the Imperial Guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. And the
3: view Zaraden or however you got it.
0: That's close enough. The commander of the guard carried into exile some of the poorest people
4: and those who remained in the city, along with the rest of the craftsmen, and those who had gone over to the king of battle. But Nebuzah left behind the rest of the forest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars.
3: So, um, what date is mentioned by Jeremiah for the destruction? Tenth day of Av. Okay, and the rabbis kind of went back and forth because uh, in one place it says tenth uh, day, uh, then here for the second it said seven. So they said, well, let's kind of round it off, so we'll come up with nine ninth day. So, Jeremiah um, spots it as taking place the fifth month, um, the tenth day, and then he describes what happens. Now, uh, then, uh, Josephus um, records that the second temple was destroyed also in the ninth or tenth of Av uh, in the year 70 C.E. Um, Why were both of these temples destroyed? It's kind of a thought question there for you.
5: From whose perspective?
3: Jewish perspective.
5: Baseless hatred. The second one was
6: baseless hatred.
3: Okay, the second one, according to the rabbis, was called baseless hatred. Um, And their explanation... is that uh, shortly before the destruction of the Temple, there was a great deal of hostility between various Jewish groups. By the way, when you think of Jewish people in the first century, people usually think of Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the truth is, there was a multitude of splinter groups, probably closer to 27 by the time you included everybody, and uh, even while the Romans were surrounding uh, the city, there was still inter-Jewish inter killing taking place, which is kind of grim, but that was part of reality. So that's what their rabbis say, but uh, we find it intriguing that they, um, they attribute uh, the destruction <coughs> of the Second Temple to baseless hatred because that's exactly what Yeshua speaks about. The hatred that the, uh, the establishment, the religious establishment hated him with and he quotes from, from the Psalms "They hated me with a baseless hatred. In other words hatred that really has no cause. Uh, what about the first temple? What was the cause of the destruction of the first temple? Yeah, turn away from God. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm having two voices here. Uh, ladies first. Yes, ma'am.
6: Unfaithfulness.
3: Unfaithfulness in what sense?
6: Idolatry.
3: Adol- uh, idolatry. Idolatry. Yeah, idolatry. <laughs> um, yeah, idolatry, to yeah uh, idolatry, which according to the prophets, and by the way, also according to the Torah, idolatry in God's mind is akin to prostitution very very strong language in Hebrew Uh, God doesn't the notion of syncretism in other words borrowing from little here and little here which is what has often taken place in Judaism but also in the church the notion of syncretism, mixture is something God has found very abhorrent Uh, the Lord happens to be very narrow minded you know he's a jealous God So the first temple was destroyed uh, because of idolatry. So by the time you come here, Jewish people were so allergic to anything remotely resembling idolatry that that's where the notion of uh, not using God's name and instead referring to Hashem, the name, or, or other euphemisms, other expressions that say this is about God without saying this is God, Okay. Um, And by the way, that's why um, if you come from a Christian perspective uh, and you try to find the statement in the New Testament that says Jesus is God, you will not find it. Because first century uh, Jewish believers were very, very sensitive. Uh, that was part of the culture that you do anything and everything to avoid appearing as if you uh, are uh, believing in multiple gods. So, the fact that Yeshua's deity is obviously clearly taught in the New Testament, uh, but it's always taught indirectly because of that reason. Because by time... Jewish people come to the first century, they're saying, we want nothing to do with idolatry. Now, that of course has changed uh, so that today in Judaism you have rabbis uh, meditating with Native American shamans and so on and so forth. But here, that's not the case. So, uh, you have that was the beginning in a sense of the observance of Tisha B'Av it's quite likely and and there's evidence going this way and going that way but according to the Talmud by the first century uh, traditional Judaism was observing Tisha B'Av as a day of mourning for the destruction of the first temple Um, so this is something in a sense even though it was instituted by the rabbis but but everything around it uh, is very biblical so I want to come back to Jeremiah chapter 36 and and see how uh, God wanted the people of Israel to have um, special times of fasting and and pray in mourning, which is not something that we really get our arms around. Jeremiah 36 and let's see, what verse? Thank you. <laughs> you read my notes. Yes. And uh, let's see. Who is the gentleman back here? I don't know your name, sir. Aaron. Aaron. Could you please like to read for us?
1: 36, 1 through 10. Yeah. <coughs> During the fourth year that Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king in Judah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Get a scroll and write down all my messages against Israel, Judah, and the other nations. Begin with the first message back in the days of Josiah, and write down every message right to, up to the present time. Perhaps the people of Judah will repent when they hear again all the terrible things I have planned for. Then I will be able to forgive their sins and wrongdoings. So Jeremiah sent for Baruch, son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated all the prophecies that the Lord had given him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. Then Jeremiah said to Baruch, I am a prisoner here and unable to go to the temple. So you go to the temple on the next day of fasting and read the messages from the Lord that I have had you write on the scroll. Read them so the people who are there from all over Judah will hear them. Perhaps even yet they will turn from their evil ways and ask the Lord's forgiveness before it is too late. For the Lord has threatened them with his terrible anger. Baruch did as Jeremiah told him and read these messages from the Lord to the people at the temple. He did this on a day of sacred fasting held in late autumn during the fifth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. People from all over Judah had come to Jerusalem to attend the services at the temple on that day. Baruch read Jeremiah's words on the scroll to all the people. He stood in front of the temple room of Gemariah, son of Shefan, the secretary. This room was just off the upper courtyard
3: of the temple near the new gate entrance. Okay, David. That's fine. Why don't you okay. stop there? Um, when you read this chapter, you are amazed at the, at the uh, phenomenal love of God. You know, people often say that uh, that the Old Testament God is a God of retribution and vengeance and and, <clears throat> and anger and so on and so forth. Yes and no. Because what you find in, in the Tanakh in the Old Testament uh, is the God who has this unbelievable kind of love for people who slap him over and over and over and over and over again for hundreds of years. Um, From the time that David ruled until the exile was well over 400 years. um, Probably closer to 500 years for Judah. And here, uh, in Jeremiah's day, the Babylonians are being prepped to come up against uh, against Judah, and the nation has deserved everything. Uh, because if you, if you were to read uh, the first, the first and second chronicles, first and second kings, what kind of a picture do you see of the people spiritually?
7: Bad. Area? it's everyone does what is right in their own eyes. It's
3: okay. Can you be more specific? In which book? Um, Can you be more specific about the picture of spiritual depravity in those days? Well, the nation always followed what the kings did.
7: Like, whatever whatever direction the king kind of led the nation in, the nation would go in. Um, And oftentimes this involved going after gods of other nations. And so Israel was constantly pulled in these directions.
3: Okay, Here here is a little historical tidbit. Um, One of the kings of Judah had altars to the stars, had the the totem pole for Asherah in the temple, had um, living quarters for male prostitutes, so-called sacred male prostitutes in the temple. Uh, during his his time, his rule, um, part of what Israel and Judah were doing is what King James called passing the children through the fire. And what that literally means is tossing their kids to a blazing fire inside this ugly, disgusting statue of the Moabites or Ammonites. So that was taking place, and here, yet, God says, Jeremiah, go call a fast, and have people fast and mourn and pray and repent. I I will I will spare them. And people's response, again led by the king, is forget it. Um, the king has the scroll that Baruch, Jeremiah's um, secretary. Uh, he takes it and throws it into the fire. And so this is indicative uh, of the fact that that fasting and mourning uh, for God's protection, especially during times of of, uh, catastrophe, was something that is very scriptural. Uh, Another example, of course, is Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's turn to that. Nehemiah is more an individual case. but Let's turn to it. Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, verses 1 to 4, and then 2, verse 1. And uh, Ariel, when you find it, would you read it, sir? Uh,
7: which Nehemiah passages? 1, 1 to 4. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Correct.
7: Ready for to load.
3: Okay. The, words the, of Nehemi-
7: <laughs> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Shushan, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, together with some men from Judah, arrived, and I asked them about the Judeans, the remnant who had survived captivity, and about Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant who have survived the captivity there in the province are in great distress and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Upon hearing these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I prayed and fasted before the God of heaven. One through four, you said? Yes, and and then two, one. Righto then in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before.
3: Okay. So, first of all, let's see if we can come up with some some kind of a time frame. Okay. When does Nehemiah begin the process of fasting, mourning, praying, etc.? Kislev. Yeah. Kislev, okay. And Kislev, by the way, is typically when we celebrate Hanukkah. And so, uh, when does Nehemiah stop the process of mourning and and, uh, fasting? Someone other than Rabbi David? (laughs) 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 Can someone tell me? What does verse 1 say? Of month of Nisan but Okay. in verse it says that he for some days ok well Is it that many days well, <laughs> he must have lost a lot of weight he must have lost a lot of weight we also don't know for sure if it was a complete fast if it was a partial fast uh, it, it it was not comfortable let's put it that way so you have Kislev Tevet, Shvat, Adar, Nisan five months okay so it's quite possible that Nehemiah was engaged in this intense process of spiritual discipline and and I guess I would say distress I would call it pretty distressing Um, the knowledge that at this point uh, which is about not quite a hundred years after the uh, Jewish people were given permission by the Persians to come back and rebuild the temple. At this point, uh, the walls around Jerusalem are still torn torn down. So what's the problem with the walls being torn down? Easy access to the people. Speak up, dear. No protection. No protection. Yeah, that's exactly it. And by the way, remember, uh, let me see if I can do it. One of my infamous uh, sketches here. Um, okay, this is a, a rough stretch. rough sketch of Jerusalem, of, of uh, Israel. Lebanon is here, and Egypt is here. Um, Judea was an area that was roughly about fifty miles. Uh, long, by, by about uh, 15 miles wide. A tiny little enclave. And here you had the Arabs. Uh, you had the Samaritans. Uh, they were basically surrounded on all sides. And so you can see that Nehemiah, and, and as you read Nehemiah, you'll see this guy was a man of action. No nonsense. There's work to be done. By God, we're going to get it done. Uh, but he was... First of all, uh, a deep man of prayer. So the notion that um, if if you are a man of action, you cannot be a man of prayer, or vice versa, is nonsense. Because this is at least one solid example uh, of Nehemiah seeking God for about five months. Again, we don't know for sure if it lasted all the way into Nisan. Um, But many days can mean many, many, many days. So the the point is, here are a couple of examples in Scripture where the notion of fasting and mourning uh, either because of a calamity that was about to happen or because of the fact that calamity has already happened. Here are a couple of examples of this taking place. And so Tisha'abahav what the rabbis then uh, instituted with the av really is very consistent with the kind of pattern that we, we have in scripture. So um, l- let me rattle through just a bit. Some of that is, is in your notes. I don't want to repeat all of it. But practices, um, the practices of... And by the way, when I talk about practices of shabbat av. I, I want to primarily talk about orthodox Judaism or tradition and then we'll talk about the reform and the liberal because that's 60 or 70% of Jewish people today and, and we need to, to be in tune with that alright, first of all uh, you mourn like you mourn for the death of a loved one you know, the same basic prax- practices that you do uh, in mourning for a loved one um, that's that's at home then in addition you have all kinds of things taking place in the synagogue uh, there is reading and recitation of some very intense and very depressing parts of scripture uh, such as lamentation by the way when was the last time anybody sat and meditated on lamentations <laughs> I often Okay, good Good point. Good point. Why is lamentation there? It used to be part of the book of Jeremiah. Right, it used to be part of the book of Jeremiah. Okay, but why do you think, and obviously this is under the uh, sovereign plan of God and the leading of the, the Holy Spirit, why do you think lamentation is in there? Hmm? To remind the people what they had do, you're referring primarily to Jewish people, okay? Now think of the the standard, and I'm I'm being I'm generalizing, which is not always fair, but the the kind of mindset that you get from fellow believers is primarily of feel good, isn't it? Uh, God loves you, he has the best plan for your life etc, etc well, yes and no or yes, but Um, people very conveniently forget the fact that that scripture says those who live godly will have a yacht and a beamer (laughs) (laughs) Uh, those who live godly will suffer that's a, a categorical statement. You want to live godly? Expect suffering. Uh, Yeshua said, if the world hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. Um, that and plus the fact you live long... As my my all clever wife likes to say, you live long enough, you get cancer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
3: her point simply is that you have all kinds of things about life that are not very pleasant. You know, uh, not just cancer, but uh, family breakup, relationship breakup, loss of work, you come to work and the boss says, uh, guess what? Uh, Today's your last day and uh, what's your hurry? Uh, you have all of that. So how is a believer supposed to handle that? Do we stand before God and have a plastic smile and say thank you Lord, I love you? Or do we go through uh, not just complaining but a deep process of lament? By the way, John Card, who is a, a, a Christian uh, singer, and wrote a book about uh, the proper place of lament in the life of believers. You don't understand lament properly, you're not going to understand joy properly. You can't have one without the other. If if all you want is joy, your joy is going to be flat, two-dimensional. Judaism understands that. Unfortunately, a lot of folks in the church do not. Uh, There's a right time and place for lament. Um, So... Lamentations. Uh, there are sections from Job that are being read. The curses in, in Leviticus 26, uh, which everybody loves to read. And by the way, when they came to the land of Israel, God said, Some of you will, half of you will stand here, half of you will stand here, and that the, the uh, half of you will, will say, Yes, there are all kinds of blessings. Thank you, God, you're going to give us this, this, this. And the other half will say, if we don't follow you we'll get all these curses, amen and amen may it happen so that's part of what takes place on Tisha B'Av and it's not, it's not really sung, it's recited in, in a monotone and you sit on, on low stools or on the ground um, and the lights are dim uh, not a great deal of fun but remember folks that that is part of life mm-hmm. and if we seek to eliminate the lament out of our life our expression and ability to experience joy is going to be very limited. Yes ma'am?
6: I'm thinking of a practical thing here um believers are not are people in the same way Jewish people are a people or Native Americans are a people or whatever right? Believers can come from all over so Do you see a place in the Messianic community for having such a day of mourning, since we're not a people in that sense?
3: Well, we do observe Tisha Mm B'Av. Our our observance of Tisha B'Av is very, very, very mild. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a variety of reasons, but uh, we do observe it. Mm -hmm. And we observe other days of mourning and fasting, such as Holocaust uh, Memorial, where things are a lot more intense. Um, And as you read scripture, you see that Israel had a number of different fasts. Now, part of the issue um, is that (laughs) fasting and mourning is actually part of spiritual discipline for believers in general.
6: Well, would you say that... um it would be beneficial for us to observe a time of mourning just for us to understand that there's sadness that you do have in your life. Yes, and if of all course. of us have sadness in our life at some point, it's a good thing for us to, to understand that by having some time of mourning so we don't think mm-hmm. that it's supposed to be life with the Lord means that everything is wonderful the whole time. Well, mm-hmm.
3: and, dear, if you have listened to the sermons the last several years, you will have heard that... Um, that our relationship with the Lord is full-orbed, that part of what we experience is the joy, the joy of the Spirit, but part of what we experience is the travail, the heaviness, the mourning, uh, sometimes because of our sin and stupidity, uh, we have to repent and and be sorry, really sorry, Uh, but what we'll get into in just a bit, uh, part of the mourning as a legitimate expression of our relationship with the Lord um, is because we identify with the suffering of Israel and we intercede for Israel like we see uh, Nehemiah and we see with Paul. So yeah, there's definitely a place for mourning and, uh, and lament. And I- interestingly enough, uh, according to traditional Judaism, um, the intensity of the morning on Tisha B'Av towards the afternoon diminishes. There's less mourning as you come into the afternoon. Why? Because according to tradition there's the expectation that Messiah would be born on Tisha B'Av. Isn't that something? Um, And so there is the expectation of redemption. And that's something a, a good positive thing that traditional Judaism understands, and we 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 agree with that that our our mourning and fasting uh like paul says it's not like those who have no hope we don't grieve like those who have no hope, but we, we grieve with those that like those who do have hope um, and you, you know you, as you read about practices of traditional Judaism you 'll see that there are all kinds of differences when you go from one place to the other now coming back to the um, reform Judaism what 's interesting is that when you when you come uh, here's orthodoxy and and here is uh, liberal Judaism. When you come to liberal Judaism, several things happen. One is that Jewish people uh, really don't buy the notion that there will be a temple. That, that, that there will be A, a Messiah. B, that there will be a rebuilding of the temple. And C, that there is any sense whatsoever in having animal sacrifices reinstituted. Even though in traditional Judaism, the rabbis spend a lot of time talking about the sacrificial system that would come when the temple is rebuilt. But, but liberal Judaism says, uh, relationship with God is, is prayer, uh, repentance and good deeds. Uh, being good to your fellow man, and when they do observe Tisha B'Av, it's not about Israel and Jewish people, but it is about mourning for the suffering of all mankind in in South Sudan and so on and so forth. Um, so that's kind of a uh, quickie uh, on how Tisha is observed. now for us who are part of a Messianic Jewish community, there's obviously a much, much deeper dimension that's involved here. So turn to Romans chapter 9. And Rachel, if you have it, would you read it for us? Romans 9, let's see, I think 1 to 4. One to three, please. I speak the truth in Messiah.
5: I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the sake of my brothers, thus of my own race, the people of Israel.
3: Okay. So, um, what is Paul saying there? Paul says in in Philippians chapter 3, for to me to live is gain and to die is Messiah. In in other words, uh, on Paul's screen 24-7 was Yeshua. To grow in knowledge of Him, to serve Him, whatever the cost. That, That was reality for Paul. And yet, he's saying, if it were possible for me to be damned to hell, for the sake of my people being uh, coming to salvation, I would do that. No. Now, do you realize what what he's saying here? Mm-hmm. It's not just me. Yeah, fire insurance. No, what matters is is God, and and if it were possible for me to end up in in a godless eternity, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Now. <clears throat> you can understand why he starts out by saying I- I'm telling you the truth and I'm not lying and the Holy Spirit bears this out in other words he piles on the language to make sure that you really get it um, so why does Paul need to say that it's time to stir the Who is missing?
5: The Jews.
3: But at this point, Mary, who, who is he talking to? He
5: just, Primarily.
3: He's talking to Gentiles. Right. And he's trying to stir, not the Jews initially, to stir the Gentiles, as he says in, in chapter 11, provoke the Gentiles. Uh, stirred the Gentiles to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, but the point is um, what Paul is saying is that this is so heavy on him. And, and the truth is what Paul is saying here um, is something that's very difficult for us to get our arms around for lots of reasons. But one of those is the fact that that Paul is identifying with his people to such an extent that, that he prays from, from way, 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 way deep. And so, part of the reason why we do some of the observances that we do at Yeshua Zion, uh, for example, on Yom Kippur, is for us to focus on our, our need identify with the nation of Israel. Why? Because without that we cannot pray effectively. Because without that all we do is Lord bless him, Lord bless her, etc. etc. An intercessor has to be someone who identifies deeply with the people that he is praying for. Yes ma'am? I, I just have a thought
6: on that. Uh, just looking a little bit through what he's saying here, but I, in some sense, I think Paul is—he's going to continue saying that. Um, I mean, here to see the Gentiles have been grafted and so forth, and yet he wants them to understand. I want you to understand how much I love my brethren. I don't want you to think that because there may be a partial hardening and all these things that, you know, I want you to understand how much I love my brethren.
0: Right.
6: That I would be accursed, even though I'm going to go on to say. That not everyone who is Israel is Israel. Um, it's not a shoo because they're a Israel, they're a you know. Right. And it's to sort of remind the Gentile that the people of God are still the people of God. It's not, because it's easy, I mean, I see this now even sometimes, I mean, there's a, a sort of a, a sense sometimes among Gentile believers that the Jews, uh, they they failed. So we've taken over now. We're the big boys in town, this and to that sort of thing. Right and i think even back then there was that tendency kind of for that and i think in some way that is also understand. but you know a lot we have a lot to be thankful for from the jewish, jewish people and i and I, I identify with them and i love my brethren and they're still beloved by god and i don't want to think that therefore they're out of the way now right and i think it's that root he's always dealing with that's just my sense
3: absolutely absolutely a uh, couple of things about paul he was an apostle to the gentiles he had a passionate love for the Gentiles and for his Gentile babies, spiritual babies. Uh, for their sake, uh, he was stoned, literally not, not Bob Dylan kind of stoned. Uh, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, all of that for the sake of br- bringing the goodness of Yeshua to the Gentiles. Uh, and part of what's happening at this point is you're beginning to see the Gentiles saying, ah, you know, just like you do today um, among some Gentiles, it, uh, we got it. You, you know, we, we get it. And the dumb Jews didn't. And and furthermore, uh, if since they didn't get it, that proof is proof positive of the fact that God's program with Israel, has failed. That's really what Paul is dealing with. Uh, And so he wants to say to them, oh, no, 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 no. God's program has not failed. God has always worked with a small minority, the remnant. Uh, So one of the reasons we uh, observe Tisha B'Av is for the sake of identifying with Jewish people, whether we're Jewish ethnically or whether we have a Jewish heart. If you don't understand Jewish history, you don't understand Jewish people, period. Because we who are are Jews are defined by our history. Uh, And I want to finish with uh, another passage, this time in Daniel chapter 9. So let's turn to Daniel 9 and... uh, verses 2 to 3. Let's see, who is volunteering? Uh, Sylvia.
5: In the first year of his reign, I came and understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication, with fasting, and sackcloth, and ashes.
3: Now, a part of this makes perfectly good sense, A part of it really doesn't, okay? Uh, what does it tell you about Daniel and his knowledge of scripture? All right. Specifically, what?
5: Jeremiah, he, knew the, he
3: knew the prophets. He, he knew the prophets' prophecies of Jeremiah, and they didn't have uh, little gizmos. <laughs> you had you had a uh, a scroll of Jeremiah. Um, and so, in chapter twenty-five, it talks about the fact that that the exile in Babylon uh, would last uh, seventy years. Now, why on earth? If Jeremiah knows that the exile will last 70 years, why on earth does he go into this heavy duty mourning and praying? Since he already knows that the exile will last 70 years.
6: do he
3: hope to change the mind of the Lord that? Change the mind of the Lord in but what sin? That
6: huh? he might relent.
3: That so he might shorten
0: the it. That he might... <sighs>
4: I think the Lord told in, in the in the scripture that people had to humble
3: themselves and repent, and then he would take them back to Christ. Good point. Good point, Karen. Part of what you find in this nasty list of, of curses at the end of chapter 26 is the Lord saying, and if in the land of their enemies they repent, I will bring them back. I will not destroy them totally. That's one thing. Uh, what about uh, and this is obviously fast forwarding to, to 1 John, remember the passage in 1 John chapter 3 which I'm stealing Rabbi David thunder for a moment <laughs> um, where it says that if we pray according to God's will we know we have what we ask for so Jeremiah knows what needs to happen and he's praying
4: Daniel.
3: Daniel, thank you Daniel is praying uh, in a sense to move the hand of God to accomplish that and this is the mystery folks the mystery that there's some things God will not do unless people pray things that God wants done he will not do until such time as as his people actually get serious and pray. Mary?
5: And I'm thinking going back to the beginning of Daniel, which I always it's in-depth with the, the, the uh, three minutes.
3: with the three buddies of, of Daniel. Right. Um, and they they um, they were committed to following God whatever the cost. But the point, point I want to, to, to come back to is this whole notion of uh, prayer, fasting, mourning is part of what has to happen with God's people who are serious about praying and, and seeking God to move his hand Mm -hmm. um, rather than do these quickies. Yes, Russell? The exterior has to reflect what is or has taken place in the heart. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And like Paul, uh, who really shouldn't have had any reason to be bent out of shape because he was very successful with the Gentiles, yet uh, he is identifying with his people to such an extent that he's mourning. Joanne.
5: Yeah, I was just wondering, isn't there sort of a sense in scripture that when when, um, when God makes a promise that there's a simple belief in the mind in general,
6: you he said you do this sort of thing. right? And so I'm wondering if that's not part of what happens. You know, God said in 70 years, but you want to make sure that And, uh, so we pray, and we say,
3: "Well, I'm you, said it would be seven days long, and, and Keep that's, uh, folks, that's the mystery, okay? It's a mystery of, of how prayer works. Um, but but as we are serious about God's program, then we realize that part of it has to be not just hi, God, are you having a good time? But um, learning to seek God in earnest through prayer fasting and mourning to get to get some of these things done. Rabbi David it looked like we we're done so would you Lord thank you for this uh, time that you us tonight Lord
2: time to remember we
3: could PS remember that when Yeshua approached Jerusalem he wept over the city that's part of his identification with the people and and that's something that we who are intercessors who pray for God's hand to move on others we have to learn to identify with them as well Mm -hmm.
2: somewhere, but I can't... Oh, there it is. Isn't that it? Um, give it to the... Yeah, it's kind of recording, so Give it to the guy here. The so, Yanli. Yeah,
6: what vacuum are you using? From? Right in here. Pardon? What vacuum are you
7: using? Oh!
2: Hey!
7: <laughs> it stops the stop button. Oh, so stopped stop <laughs> by it. <laughs> it. Not it. <laughs> I'll bring the other receipt on Shabbat.
2: Okay, yeah. And uh, we'll get that work. We'll get them both. All- okay. One of the receipts will go to me because
7: I just put it all on my card to make it easy. Oh, okay. The gas, though, will have to go to her. card. It means that I just received the other part of um, the stuff she got. 18 of that. See if I take this one. I'm
6: not sure what thing that is. it was a nice Starbucks to get some of them.
7: She went to a Starbucks? Or she went to some place? Oh, a... the same place we all went. Well, anyway, she's okay, going
6: yeah. she to have to get uh, a little suit. See, I $15 on it. She has a receipt right now with Okay. And she's with Jessica. So she
7: only gets up to first. In million so she
6: Well, what happens is, um, well, I, I added up everything that I spent on food I had 46 dollars But you are not giving $6,000. Are
7: yeah, you just talking about what you saw on that receipt? Because that on, wasn't on the
5: all. Yeah, that wasn't all. What else?
6: The other.
7: There's the food in the morning. And only I'm four of those noodles were us. Meal. That noodles wasn't the morning, it was
6: afterwards. I know, but I'm talking about the
7: morning. Okay. morning. Okay. And also only four of those for noodles. Yeah. I have yeah. mine. Assume mine and how Right, but, but you don't didn't. have You
6: have yeah, to get those. Between the two of you. All I'm saying is between the two of you. Right,
7: but However,
0: you
6: have
7: to give her some to she spent at the breakfast. Well, she'll so get if she spends $15 altogether, then she'll get $15. If she spent well, no, no, no. at least $15 altogether, she'll get $15. Okay. Oh, I see.
6: So, you right. just, just tell them. Right. You see, you have to get to get
0: Okay.
1: Right?
6: So, whatever. It's
1: not No, it might not. Right. Six Yeah. I know. At- it's, it's,